0: red pill the only podcast hosted by truthfully armed we take you beyond conspiracy theories to the heart of the conspiracy itself i'm jason spears with my co-host christopher dean yeah baby join us as we go behind enemy lines to help you remove the film over your eyes as we discuss in this week's intel
1: briefing doctor strange in the multiverse of madness
0: doctor strange a movie that uses stunning visuals and imaginative storytelling to teach inclusivity or is the madness of the multiverse part of a more devilish plot to distort reality we're going to talk about this and much more coming up right here on operation red pill the film over your eyes another episode of operation red pill where we take you beyond conspiracy theories to the heart of the conspiracy itself christopher dean
1: how you doing man
0: i'm hanging in there man how you doing
1: i'm doing all right how was your week it was it was good it was a good week all right talk to me i had this this funny thing happen with my son he he thinks it's uh it's fun to point because he's not communicating with um, with words very well.
0: I have been the victim of this behavior.
1: <laughs> yes. So I was thinking about you when we were eating dinner one time, and he's like, here's a train, and he's pointing out the window. And I was like, you know what? Two can play this game. <laughs> so I just point in the corner. There's nothing. Absolutely. I point in the corner. And my wife got so upset because the rest of the dinner, he keeps whipping his head around, looking at him. He's like, I don't see it. What is it, dad? What is it? And he just, the whole time, he kept looking in the corner. I was like, okay, this worked too well.
0: That's hilarious. (laughs) I need credit for that.
1: Uh, Yeah, it was pretty funny. So how's your week been?
0: You know what, dude? My week's actually been pretty good. I uh, had a chance to go out. If you guys have not heard of this place, this is awesome. There's this place called Take Flight, Ohio that I was able to go to. My parents got me a birthday gift. Uh, They got it for me just before COVID. So once it hit, I wasn't able to actually redeem it for a while, but just recently got a chance to redeem it and go in. And it's basically this complete flight simulator mock-up where you sit in a real cockpit, real controls, real button switches, gauges, everything. It's a glass cockpit, a complete remake of a 737 Max series. okay and you sit down you literally literally are behind the
1: controls that sounds awesome
0: oh it was a time to remember bro like i sat down and immediately i got goosebumps and i've been in a a few cockpits before uh, especially working uh at at, uh, fedex okay i had a chance to go into some of the uh aircraft there and sit up front all right that's cool and it was it's a, it's a crazy cool experience if you're an aviation enthusiast I bet. so being able to actually replicate that feeling as soon as i sat down i looked around i was like oh my gosh i'm back home this feels so good
1: so it felt like the real thing then
0: what it is it's because they actually have a a full mock up okay like this i, I don't want to say they cut out an actual 737 but this whatever company helped make this Mm -hmm. They do a full scale one-to-one mock-up of a 737 cockpit all the way down to the seats, the controls, everything, how the seats move back and forth, how all the controls work. Everything is a complete mock-up. So much so that they have to tell you when you go in here, you cannot use this for flight log information, flight log data. Like you can't count your hours in here towards your actual flight time hours. Interesting. It's that realistic though. That's cool. So I'm sitting there. They were like, where do you want to go? I'm like, ah. Take me out of JFK. So I flew out of JFK into BWI, which is Baltimore-Washington okay, International, right there in D.C. And since I've got flam- family there, I've pretty much kind of flown some of that approach. But I asked the guy going in, and it was kind of funny. I said, uh, all right, so we're going in. Listen, can we do a, a, a stars approach? And he just looks at me like, okay, see, out of all the people who come in here, nobody really <laughs> asks for stars. And... Somebody was like, you know, what is that? And STAR stands for Standard Terminal uh, Arrivals. And so basically what that is, is it's a pre-published set of vectors or maneuvers to get into a specific runway. Okay. So in the sky, you have these little waypoints. They're like radio beacon frequencies. Okay. Uh, and you have to fly towards them. It's kind of the way you navigate in a three-dimensional space like that. So you don't have signs that point or exit signs and say, right over here is a PWI, <laughs> just make a left. Right. So you have to fly these waypoints, and they each of these airports have what they call published charts. And those charts include not only the waypoints to get to certain runways based on their heading, but also flight clearances based on restricted airways okay. or, or airspace. So you might not have certain places that you can fly over, especially in a highly densely populated area like D.C., which has a lot of restrictive airspace.
1: Interesting. You can't fly
0: over the White House. You can't fly over, let's say, the Washington Monument. You can't fly over Pentagon. Like these are like no fly zones. And okay. you gotta imagine these huge, huge columns of air basically going up to close off airspace over these protected landmarks.
1: Right. So you have to fly around them.
0: Exactly. Okay. But you also have to fly uh down if you're trying to go towards a runway. So not only are you going left and right, you're also pitching down and descending. Okay. And you need to do that at a comfortable rate for your passengers. So you got all of these different spatial dimensions that you have to be aware of. Okay. It was really cool. It came down in, we flew this whole thing and got lined up. And, and the guy was like, Do you want to take control now? I'm like, Autopilot's doing a great job. like <laughs> so you paid all this money for Autopilot? Yes. I want to see if it works. <laughs> so we clicked off Autopilot and I actually flew the approach manually. Okay. And bought this whole 737 jetliner down on the runway. First attempt kicked on the reverse thrust. And then they have at at your feet where the rudder pedals are at, where if you've never been in an airplane, what you would think are the gas and the brake.
1: Uh They're
0: not They're rudder (laughs) pedals. But on the very top of that, you can use your tiptoes and there's like a second set of pedals that you push forward. And those are the brakes. So I'm pushing the brakes down. We've got reverse thrust going. So the engines are kicking up and we're watching the speed come down. And I'm like, Oh, this is amazing.
1: And does the, does the whole thing vibrate? Like, can you feel at all what um, you
0: Some, just from the sound that's generated. It's not a full motion okay. simulator. So it's not like pitching up and down and left and right where you can feel those movements in your body. I gotcha. But it's uh, two-dimensional. So you're, you're stationary. You can touch all the controls and things like that. Okay. Uh, and you just have to use the screen in front of you, which is a full wraparound screen. Like anybody's in this flight simulator, I'm telling you, go. This is the only place in Ohio. Okay. That, that you can do this. And it is a absolutely amazing experience. So I had a blast. Took a couple friends with me. They were like, oh my gosh, I feel so safe with you. If the pilot goes, you can fly. I was like, nah, that's going to be too much like Soul Plane. I was like, we, 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 we can't do that. I'm going to have to charge y'all. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, man, but it, it was a great experience. Very nice. So listen, man, let's get into it. There is a brand new movie that has come out from the good folks at Disney.
1: The good folks at Disney. Good
0: folks, and and they have put out this wonderful film called Doctor Strange, and the Multiverse of Madness. Yep. And we, you, and I got a chance to go screen that. Yes, we did. When we didn't, we did not pay top dollar because we weren't trying to support these people too well, but we made a strong economic choice <laughs> to make sure we put our convictions ahead of economics, <laughs> and uh, secured us a spot at the front. Right. Saw it on the the ultra screen. And I got to know out the gate for the people baby what did you think about Doctor Strange
1: I didn't like it really no it for me it it seemed it the the storytelling of it seemed very ambiguous okay so like typically you can relate to characters and you can um like live vicariously through them or whatever you know go on this emotional journey uh-huh. or even intellectual journey depending on what you're watching and with this one I just It it seemed like I had no idea where to put my feet down Hmm. for the whole movie.
0: Have you been following their What If series? I have not. Okay. And have you
1: seen the first Doctor Strange? I have seen the first Doctor Strange. Yes. Okay.
0: Now, I followed both. I I recently went back and rewatched the first Doctor Strange. Okay. Out of all the stuff that Marvel released in phase one, that was probably my least favorite film. Okay. Overall, I, I didn't really like it. I've seen it probably three or four times. Each time I rewatch it, I appreciate it more.
1: Okay. Because I know, that i if I remember correctly, the first time you watched it, you kept falling asleep, and then you'd wake up. Like the the biggest thing that you remembered was the the time loop section or whatever.
0: This is like the second Doctor Strange, right? Are you talking about the, the first
1: the, one? The first one, you fell asleep during. I didn't
0: fall asleep during both of these movies. <laughs> I think you did. I- like, you just... Oh, I did. I fell asleep near Dorm- Dormammu. Yeah, and he, I was like, "Is the movie broke? Right? Like, Why? <laughs> Why does he keep showing up? What's happening here?" Uh, that's, yeah, that's probably one of the worst places you could fall asleep. Right. Uh, then that's funny. But yeah, I've, I followed that, and I followed her "What If" series. Okay. So the second movie seemed to kind of be a cinematic cinematic adaptation of some of the content they covered in "What If." Okay. Now I'm doing some research for this episode. I found out that the Doctor Strange that shows up in What If is actually different from the Stephen Strange that we see in the first Doctor Strange movie. Okay. And that's because it starts touching on this idea of a multiverse. Interesting. So, I so, thought it was the same person, and apparently they're not, but some of the stuff that they kind of treat some of the treatment of the content still shows up in the second Doctor Strange movie.
1: So then is the What If series, not to go on a tangent about this, but is the What If series um, different universes then? Instead of just like conceptual ideas, is it actual different universes that these things are taking place in? or That's
0: kind of a tough question because it takes place. Essentially, they pitch the idea that what they want to do is reimagine some of the cinematic major events and plot lines kind of redone so you're taking other characters and placing them in the storyline of others that we know okay so like what if T'Challa what if Star-Lord was never picked up but T'Challa was
1: you know the guy who plays
0: Black Panther right and what if he was the one that went along on on all of these Star-Lord adventures
1: like as the Black Panther yeah okay
0: or no I I can't remember if he was Black Panther if he was no he was T'Challa not as Black Panther though as okay. Star-Lord.
1: Okay. And
0: then they reimagined another series of events with um, Killmonger actually being Black Panther.
1: Okay, that's interesting.
0: But he was also one who saved Tony Stark's life.
1: Okay. So these aren't necessarily separate universes.
0: Well, when you get further into the What If series, somewhere around like the the last two or three, it really starts to separate. And what you end up finding out, not to ruin for anybody that's already hasn't seen it yet, this is going to be a spoiler. Spoilers. Right. But what you end up getting is Dr. Strange breaks reality. And he's trying to go back and actually stop the accident from happening. And every time he does, it results in this death of Christine. And so he's trying to avoid all of that. And he keeps killing her over and over. He keeps trying to avoid it. And while he's doing it, he tears apart reality. And so he ends up having to try to figure out, is there a way to fix reality? And according to their rules of magic, there are, but it takes darker magic to do it from ancient ancestral beings that are that are incredibly evil. And so Dr. Strange summons them and actually gets them into his body so that he can harness their magic in order to affect this time point that apparently he can't get around. And he fractures reality when he doesn't. At the time that he does that, Ultron comes on and Ultron is trying to destroy humanity. And he finds out that there's a whole new universe of humanity that he has not destroyed. And this whole idea of multiple universes becomes a thing to him. And he starts searching through all of them, destroying humanity. This brings on problems. But beyond that is a character called the Watcher who sees all of this and is sworn not to intervene. So d- it gets really trippy really quick okay i know we've kind of gone down this whole whole thing where we said we weren't going to go down so this is but but it plays into dr strange the universe of madness okay this is what i thought the the second dr strange film was building off of
1: okay but it wasn't
0: it it wasn't but it does play on some of those thematic ideas
1: okay makes sense
0: so i didn't have such a problem i didn't have that much of a problem watching it okay i see however some of the things i saw in it did trouble me okay like what one of the problems with the doctor strange universe is its avid use of mysticism and magic especially dark magic or black magic right not that there's a good or a bad no
1: they're all the same
0: but when you get into let's let's not call it black magic they're deeper magic okay that they utilize um it's not really make-believe there's a lot of research that goes into this and so when you see even some of the finger formations that um, Dr. Strange is using to make certain summoning requests, those are part of a science that actually like finger dancing and finger movements, they're, it's not arbitrary. They're actually people they call in to teach those specific type of finger movements. Really? One, so that they look interesting on, on screen. But yeah, it's, there's also a measure of realism to this. And I'm okay. not saying that he's casting spells every time he does it. Right. But these aren't just arbitrary finger placements.
1: No, that makes sense. So seeing some of that, I'm just like,
0: mm, it gets a little disturbing after a while. Yeah. Of, of, once you realize what you're seeing.
1: Yeah. No, I, I get that.
0: And that's one of the reasons why when, I, when we go in, and people ask me this from time to time. I'm sure they ask you this as well. When you go into a movie, how do you prepare yourself? Yep. You know, aren't you just going in just to watch? Actually, I don't really get the how do you prepare yourself question. I <laughs> normally get the direct forward accusation. You know, aren't you just going there to watch and be entertained? Right. And the, the, the reality is I'm not. No. I used to, but I don't go into movies like that anymore. Now, when I go into a film, I sit there and one of the things I do immediately when it starts is I pray. Yeah. I say, all right, God, Listen. Cover me in the blood of Jesus Christ. Make me aware of any sort of messaging and programming that is happening. Neutralize my mind so that it does not take effect. If there are any curses, if there is any uh, incantations or initiations that are being enacted on me as an audience member, break those. And I denounce those. Keep my eyes open so that I can see any narrative or any principle that you want me to pay attention to. Right. Right. And then normally I'll pray for some of the other people in the audience.
1: Right now. And that's good. Yeah. And it, and it might seem crazy to some people, <clears throat> but with Disney uh, recently admitting that they they have a particular agenda, mm-hmm. like how many movies have come out without this declaration that they have an agenda? So I think it's wise to go into these things realizing that the people that put them together aren't only doing it to keep you entertained, mm-hmm. but they have an agenda that they're trying to get across, and, and that we should be aware of. I agree.
0: Now, once you went through it, you said it was a little difficult to watch. What yes. was your takeaway?
1: Um, well, I had multiple takeaways. Okay. So just as a, just as an overall movie, I thought it was disappointing. Okay. Like, I I didn't think that it did. It wasn't a good story. Like, the development, like I was saying, didn't take you on a, on a, on a very good ride, if, if that's one way to put it. Um, visually, I thought it was very impressive. Uh, the special effects were on point. Okay. Uh, but a lot of the the content that we're dealing with is was very dark and disturbing. True. So there's like, again, spoilers. There's a scene where Scarlet Witch comes out of a uh, a mirror or whatever, mm. and it reminded me of uh, she was contorted, by the way. Contorted. Right. Yeah. So she comes out and she's all twisted and got a like put herself back together. It reminded me of a, just a scene that my sister showed me cause I didn't watch the movie. It was the new it movie. Okay. And I think it was a similar thing that he was coming out, but he was all contorted and twisted. And, um, and that was a horror film like this. The, the Dr. Strange isn't considered a horror film, but we have similar visuals going on. Well,
0: it's funny. You say that when you get into some of their production notes, mm-hmm. it was supposed to be Marvel's entry into a horror film. Oh, Really? And the original director dropped out. So they got a new one, which I think is Sam Raimi. Yeah. And he's done some horror, but his is horror and comedy. Right. That's who they got to direct
1: it. Interesting. Yeah, I guess I didn't realize that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It should give the viewer a little more insight into what Disney is hoping to do through Marvel um, with hiring two different horror directors for Doctor Strange. should also give a person a little more insight into what Doctor Strange is probably about. Right. You know, it's not just an animated, innocent comic book character. I was trying to remember who it was that stated that Doctor Strange is actually a caricature of Lucifer. Like oh, he's actually playing Satan. And that in the place that he serves, the sanctum sanctorium mm-hmm. is actually Latin for holies of holies. And he is the Sorcerer Supreme.
1: Interesting.
0: Right. So it's this mockery of, of the Christian idea. Um, you should never have a sorcerer in the holies of holies.
1: Right. <laughs> you know what
0: I mean? And now here he is. not He's no longer, I think in, in this movie, he's no longer the sorcerer supreme. That's gone to a different character. I went to Wong. Right. But he still is Doctor Strange in possession of a lot of magical power. Right, And what they don't say in this movie or in the first one is where Strange gets his magical power. Because the person who taught him in the first movie was actually the, the then uh, Sorcerer Supreme. Okay. And she was drawing her power from the dark world.
1: Right, right. I remember It was one that. of the
0: major plot points for why one of the other characters got upset. And mordo. went on this mordo right, and he went on this whole rampage against sorcerers because she was basically a fraud. If she taught Strange the dark arts or the mystic arts, as they put it in that movie, and she's drawing her magical energy from the dark world, where is Strange as the sorcerer supreme, drawing his energy from?
1: Yeah, that's they, a good question. They don't touch on it. They don't. But I did notice, like in a couple times, that he. He uses magic, like, to open a portal. Or there's one scene that he, like, creates hands or whatever. Uh They're, like, demonic hands to go and grab something.
0: Yeah, you see that in the second one. You don't really see that in the
1: first one. Right, in the second one. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting because that plays a lot on modern-day witchcraft. is like, bartering or using demons to do the things that you can't do. And and that's just what he was doing in the film. I was like, huh, that's interesting.
0: Now, they dance on a lot of these... um, Astral ideas. The idea that you can open up different portals, that you can open up different round, well, different portals inside your dimensional reality. The fact that you could open up different portals to an adjacent dimension is a whole other idea. Right. And then the fact that they take all of that and build into this third idea of there being interconnected dimensional realities known as a multiverse.
1: Yeah, that's that's a lot of different things.
0: Right, it's a whole bunch of universes together. Yeah, which I'm like, yeah, I, that's this whole idea has been unsettling to me.
1: It has, and it seems to be gaining some traction and some momentum. It
0: really is becoming a popular idea that I found to be very not just unsettling. I'm really starting to resent it because of its implications. It seems like this whole multiverse idea is not just an exploratory venture into quantum physics it seems like it is a attempt to try to create eternity outside of God. Right. So you never really die because there's also <clears throat> multiple versions of you, but the way they pitch this idea is not that there are multiple ver- versions of you. It's different use. Okay. So then you have to ask the question, well, which one am I? Now they generally like to answer that by saying, well, this is you from this dimension and normally give the dimension a number. Or some sort of name like Earth Prime or or Earth 4. Okay. This is you from Earth 4. You're from Earth Prime, but you from Earth 4 has just made its way over into your reality. And, of course, you two can't meet. But which one am I
1: is the question. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Am I me or am I me from Earth 4? It doesn't matter which you you are. That's kind of the way
0: that they would they would address that idea. Mm-hmm. But what they don't say, they kind of infer this is that you all are interconnected. Like you're quantumly entangled.
1: Yeah. I didn't hear that term. In the no, they, that's movie. what I'm saying. They don't <laughs> say that term. Right. But
0: that's really kind of the idea that they're presenting. Okay. It's all these different versions of you. Your seat of consciousness is connected to other seats of consciousness, which sounds a bit pantheistic. Right. But you are still you. Well, then how am I me in another
1: universe? Yeah, that's interesting. So is it that you just need to be true to yourself, whatever you that is? That's probably
0: one sub-idea, but I think the, the larger idea is that we're, if you're all interconnected, you don't truly die, number one.
1: Oh, you just live forever. Well, these all other these...
0: versions of you live, and if there are other versions of you philosophically, then you're living through them. Just, there are these, these underlying philosophic ideas that are embedded in this concept of a multiverse. Right. And they don't really do a seminar <laughs> to explain these ideas. So even the stuff I've just said probably sounds confusing to a person.
1: Yeah, a little bit.
0: But if you're watching any of these shows, like if you watch The Flash, if you've watched any of the Batman series, uh, if you've watched Marvel, you've come across this idea of a multiverse. You hear people talking about it all the time. Uh, you even got Facebook changing their name to Meta. Yeah, you know because of the Metaverse. That's kind of the next little step in, in between. You've got Spider Man into the multiverse. You know that whole animated series or animated movie wasn't a series, but the animated movie. Then you've got even series that are popping up and comic book and on on film that yeah. make use of this idea. Yeah, um, it's everywhere. Altered Carbon kind of deals with this idea a little bit.
1: Okay, I didn't see that.
0: On Netflix. <clears throat> it's not as much of a multiverse idea, but it's still dealing with the difference of consciousness and where that can be. Okay. So all of these are metaphysical ideas. Uh-huh. And they start to dance or borrow. From, they dance on ideas established by Christianity without trying to borrow directly from Christianity.
1: Yeah, I've seen the the multiverse used a lot to help explain reality outside of Christianity.
0: Absolutely. And it's this
1: convoluted,
0: twisted experience that kind of gives you this idea of hope. You know, either you can meet your other self, you can get answers from your other self. Or just realize that there's another part of you somewhere else that's probably going through similar things.
1: Yeah. Or if you can't be happy, there is a version of you in some universe. That That probably is. (laughs) And if you can
0: just tap into that energy, then maybe you can be happy here. Yeah. It's it's uh it's an idea I don't like. And I'm really starting to get tired of, of hearing
1: it. Right. Because there's there's a lot of dangers with it, for sure.
0: And it's kind of not lost on me that Doctor Strange, the multiverse of madness, opens up with a, a foreign dimension to us. The rules of physics don't apply. Yeah. He's running around, jumping through hyperspaces. And coincidentally enough, being chased by a creature that you later find out is a demon. i'm like it's kind of interesting this is how you open up the film yeah trying to get this sacred book i'm like what's going on here then you find out later and they kind of drop this this philosophic idea on you you find out later that what dr strange thought was a dream was really a portal into another reality that he was experiencing through one of his alternate selves
1: yeah and somehow this is proof that there's multiple universes Right. The idea that, oh, what is it? My life might be someone else's dream or whatever. I've heard that in other movies. hmm Yeah. It's it's crazy.
0: Now, what I did find interesting is as this lady who apparently has this ability, she's the only being in the entire multiverse that doesn't have a replicant.
1: Right. So she's the, the only one in all of the universes. That's her.
0: That's just her. Okay. Kind of like a divine being.
1: Yeah. And she that, has
0: the ability to jump between, to travel at any point in this multiverse that she wants to travel. Yeah. Every time she opens a portal to travel, it's in the shape of a pentagram.
1: Yeah, I thought that was interesting.
0: Yeah, that then, wasn't lost on me.
1: Right. Most people would think, oh, it's just a star.
0: Right. But if you listen to this show, you already aren't part of that 98%. You're part of a chosen few. You're part of that 1% that realizes, mm you're not going to pull the wool over my eyes. I know that that's not a star. That's a pentagram. Yep. And I was even paying attention to its orientation. Okay. Was it upside like was it inverted or was it uh top up? And they didn't leave it inverted because you know an inverted pentagram basically is the the star of Mindy's or or uh, not the star of Mindy's, but the uh the Baphomet. Right. So, they didn't go that far. They they left it in its traditional top up orientation. Okay. All right. But it still wasn't lost. I'm like, so this this girl is carrying this star on her jacket, and then has multiple stars on the front. She has on the back of a jacket this giant star, and then she's got multiple stars on the sleeves and the front. I'm like, nope, you're signaling. Mm-hmm. And then every time she opens the portals in the shape of a star, I'm like, nah, that's not loss. I'm, I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down.
1: Right, right.
0: You know, then we meet Wanda, the Scarlet Rich. Yep. She's always been a problem for me.
1: Okay, why is that?
0: Well, ignoring the fact that I think Elizabeth Olsen is, is attractive. <laughs> ignoring that whole thing.
1: That kind of problem.
0: <laughs> no. I watched the, uh, the Wanda series, and I was so bored when I was watching that series. Really? Yeah, the way it developed. It's a clever way to develop it, but for somebody like me, I'm like, I need you to go faster. Okay. And it took about four episodes for it to start picking up. The way they shot this is that every episode is a new decade of television. So it starts out in black and white, and it progresses each episode into the iconic um, visual theme of that era Okay. until you get to modern day. But the way that it ends, it's revealed that Scarlet Witch is the most powerful witch. Yeah. I had a problem with that because embedded in her name is some very interesting meaning. Okay. Like, if you take the Scarlet Witch and you compare that to the woman who rides the beast, what's she clothed on? clothed in red exactly scarlet
1: interesting
0: and is it any wonder that she's considered the most powerful
1: huh and you mean and and you're talking about the the woman that rides the beast in revelation right yes thank you for clarification anyone that might not know yeah interesting i didn't pick up on that so that's not yeah that's not lost on me wow so
0: neither is the magic then that's being done because you got to understand that's the whore of babylon from a biblical perspective. Yeah. I'm like, all right, now what are you doing? (laughs) So I've got a sorcerer. I've got an ex sorcerer Supreme who is fighting the whore of Babylon, i.e. the woman in Scarlet, i.e. Scarlet witch. Right. Through different dimensional planes. Huh? And finally he uses the one, the one aspect of him that's able to defeat her. Is actually the dead, zombie version of himself, right? Yeah. Now you got to help me with this one because I kind of, I kind of blacked out for a minute. <laughs> Them carbs caught up to me.
1: <laughs> no, it was uh he, and this is one of the things, one of the issues that I had is that the the theme or the narrative seems so amorphous. So there's the the dark hold, which is like this book of the, I don't know. It it embodies everything that is evil. Right, it glows mm. red and black, and if you use it, it, it costs part of your soul or, or, or whatever. It's so, almost like the Necrocomicon. Yeah, a, a lot like that. Okay. So when they find out, when we find out that that's what Scarlet Witch is using, then all of a sudden the audience is like, "Oh man, I can't believe that she's using that." Well, it's the same book that Doctor Strange has to use to um, Dreamwalk, is what they call it, to astral project himself into. A dead version of himself in a in a different universe.
0: Just for those who aren't familiar with that term, astral projection, it's the ability to take your soul out of your body and put it into another part of the space time continuum. Yeah. Now that sounds real trippy to people. Like, <laughs> there's no way that that happens. No, but there's. It is a is an occult new age practice.
1: Yeah, and I've talked to just normal people at work that talked about. Normal people. That that, (laughs) That, that that probably wasn't the best phrasing. But no, like people that don't call themselves witches or necessarily into the new age who know about astral projection Mm -hmm. and and, and try to do it and you know say that they're successful or whatever.
0: What'll flip you out is that the U.S. military is well aware of it. In fact, they tried to get people who said they had that ability to do that and, and to actually go further than that. If they didn't completely astral project, And they tried to get him to do a thing called remote viewing.
1: Okay. Yeah. I've heard of this.
0: Right. And it was something that I believe the CIA was working on because it would allow you to go into another part of the space time continuum, another location, and actually be able to view things that are going on outside of physical perception.
1: Right. Yeah. So
0: so people wouldn't know you were there. It was like the ultimate form of spying.
1: Yeah, it would be.
0: Yep. And they had apparently people that were successful at doing that. I don't know what rituals they had to go through. I don't know the cost to them or to others. I don't mean uh, economic costs, but just the physical cost. Because you're not designed to be able to take your soul out of your
1: body. Yeah, that's not supposed to happen.
0: I mean, it can. There are scriptural references where God has probably done something very similar to that. Uh, but you're designed to, you're a soul in a body, in a corporal body. Yeah. You know, you're not in a in a celestial body. And so God didn't design us to be floating around the astral plane <laughs> bodiless.
1: Right. Probably a little bit dangerous. What
0: is interesting is there is a being that no longer has a body that is relegated when they are outside of a body to the to the wastelands. What what I think I think that's the same place that um the new age and the occult refer to as the astral plane. But if okay. you notice in scripture when God's talking about unclean spirits, Mm -hmm. Jesus actually tells the disciples, when you cast out an unclean spirit from a body, it goes to places without water and seeks rest, and finding none comes back to the body that it previously occupied. Now, I'm of the school of thought that I believe that those evil spirits or demonic spirits are the disembodied spirits of the giants. Yeah. The giants who died uh, mostly in the flood, but not just because giants were being killed after that.
1: Yeah. Then but
0: the, because they're an unsanctioned life form and they have a soul that was not designed by God, once that soul is out of its body, it doesn't have a legitimate place to go.
1: So it just wanders this the astral plane. Well, is, it's is, relegated they would,
0: to Earth. So Okay. I, I would I would say that's probably the same place as the astral plane.
1: Okay. So yeah, in the movie, he uses the dark hold to astral project out of his body into the dead version of him in a different universe. Okay. But because he's possessing a dead body versus a live body, apparently there's some supernatural laws against this. So the, these dead bodies or evil spirits. Demons is what it looks like, are trying to fight him because they're like, you shouldn't be in this dead body. Not that he should have been astral projecting in the first place.
0: Yeah, but well, that's a really interesting concept as well. Yeah. Because I think there are... There are some examples of of laws very similar to that. Okay. Like, uh, give an example. If you take dead blood from, if you take blood from a dead person and you put it in a live person, you kill the live person. Okay. And so that scripture where life is in the blood seems to make a little bit more sense.
1: Interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it will automatically kill you. (laughs) So you can't just go get you some free blood. Right. Likewise, there seems to be a law that A person's soul seems to be tied to their body in some respects, Where even if they are dislodged from their body.
1: Then nothing else can come and take, take that spot.
0: Yeah. Which we all should be thankful of (laughs) because there's a lot of dead bodies in the ground that Mm -hmm. if spirits who were looking for bodies were able to animate them, you'd have a lot of people getting up out the grave.
1: Interesting. I hadn't considered it like that.
0: Right now. This is where transhumanism comes into play. Because if Satan is trying to build an army so that he can go to war with God the way that he did back at the Tower of Babel when God smacked him down, he's trying to get humanity back to that. See, y'all thought everything in the Ultra Series was done. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, no. We bringing it back, baby.
1: Find it all back.
0: So if he's still trying to get back to that, that mode of opera, that, what do they call that?
1: Uh, modus operandi.
0: Thank you. So if he's starting to get back to that modus operandi, <laughs> what he's got to do is, Build an army, and that army was going to consist of both terrestrial and non-terrestrial beings. Okay. But if you really wanted to grow your army exponentially, there's two things you could use. Number one, you use the disembodied spirits from before, but you need to get them bodies. Okay. I.e. robotics. Yeah. But you need to also make sure that it's suitable for sentient intelligence, i.e. artificial intelligence.
1: Interesting.
0: So if you, can't, if you cannot project into a person's body because they're occupied and there tends to be laws against that. I mean, we have instance, instances of possession, but never in possession do you record where the soul is dislodged from the body and the spirit that came in takes complete ownership of the body. There still tends to be a battle between the person and that foreign entity that's come in. Yeah. If you can build a body to be a fit extension into then you don't have to worry about battling the soul of the previous owner of that body that would give you then physical access to this physical plane of existence.
1: Interesting. Cause yeah, there was even in the movie, there's a little bit because Scarlet witch tried to dream walk or astral project into a live version of herself in another universe. Mm -hmm. And there was some, there was some battle that went back and forth.
0: Right. Which wouldn't make sense if you're just projecting into yourself. Yeah. It would seem to imply then those are two separate souls with different autonomy.
1: Right, fighting over the, the same body. Which sounds a lot like demonic possession. Possession, yeah, yeah. But Disney wouldn't teach you that, of course not. Of no, course not.
0: <laughs> Cartoons and fairy tales, baby.
1: So as as Doctor Strange is possessing the his dead corpse, which just sounds so weird. Right, And then these these other demons or whatever try to stop him. Then he somehow becomes more powerful by controlling these other spirits that are trying to prevent him from possessing the dead body. And it doesn't really explain it. Like his girlfriend is just like, you are the Sorcerer Supreme, use them. And then instead of being tormented by them, which is another scene that was disturbing is he's just laying like on top of this... um, pentagram surrounded by candles as these evil spirits fly in a circle. Yeah.
0: So he's in a pentagram surrounded by what you, we call as a magic circle, Mm -hmm. which is typically where occultists cast spells. Yeah.
1: So his, his lifeless body is laying there as these spirits violently like fly in and out of him as he's contorting. And I'm like, this is, this is not. And, and I, I like scary movies. So I have a little bit of a problem like is it the the more I try to cater my my watching experience to to glorify God. Okay. There's a little Let's
0: change b- that around. So the more of yourself that you kill off. Yes. To glorify God, the more problems you come up with. Yes. Okay, I got you.
1: Um so like when I say disturbing images and stuff it's not coming from this this super uh, snooty place. That I'm like, oh, I don't want to see that. Because, I mean, it's it's part of my, well, at least what my flesh would desire is, is my genre of film that I would go to. Okay. But there's just the reality of some of the things that you see are, are disturbing. I can't handle horror films. Oh,
0: really? I can't. My imagination is way too supercharged. <laughs> like, Predator was a lot for me. Really? Oh, my gosh. Predator caused me to be scared for years as a kid.
1: Interesting. And I
0: mean scared. Like I remember being at home from Latchkey. That's how far back I go. <laughs> I remember being, being at home from Latchkey and we lived in this house where the wood would creak in our home. And it would always creak in a sequence. So okay. it would sound like something was walking. And I'm at home and I hear the hallway creaking and the uh, I'm thinking something's coming after me. <laughs> but the thing about Predator is he's invisible. So you, you can't you see him. You can not see him anyway. Right. So how do I know he's not there without <laughs> You know what I mean? How, how do I know that, that
1: ain't happening? That's funny.
0: Oh, man, you, know, you don't understand how much chocolate milk ended up on the floor. <laughs> I remember one day literally being at home, and I was in my room, and I heard this noise from my closet, and it just went shh. And I freaked, and I jumped under the bed, and I'm expecting this is how graphic my imagination is I'm expecting under the bed to see a foot Just, doom, drop down Uh-huh And I expect to see the electromagnetic stuff come on And all of a sudden it materializes From out of the invisible realm to the visible And I see the predator's foot
1: you, You've already thought this is what I'm this playing, through.
0: this is why I'm freaked out Okay And I'm like sitting there shivering Expecting to see this and it never shows up And then all of a sudden I feel this, this huge vibration underneath me and what it was is my room in that house was above the garage. Okay. And so my mama just come home. <laughs> if, I don't know. I, I Listen, I got black mama, so I'm scared of her. I know the Predator's scared because he ain't supposed to be there. <laughs> so, oh, I got so empowered. That's right, Mr. Predator. You, I don't see you coming to scare me now. Wait till my mama come home. She going to tear <laughs> your mind up, son. Oh, you going to get it, Mr. Predator. I got out the bed. I was super charged, happy. We know what had happened? What? In my closet, my coat that I hung up. Uh-huh. fell <laughs> and that was the sound
1: that's funny
0: i remember telling my mom years later she was like your dad didn't want you to watch any movies like that because he knew that you had an overactive imagination huh and so i can't really handle i can't handle f- horror films interesting i can't handle films where people are getting tortured okay because i ended up i end up reliving it like every time i see it i'm imagining it i'm imagining if that was me what would happen
1: See, as a kid, like I had to, whatever it is about my personality, you say that I don't have good sense. I do say that. You know, um, some people would say that I I lack the appropriate amount of fear. But like I I wasn't always like that. There's just this trigger in me that if something makes me afraid, it angers me and I've got Mm. to confront it. So like my grandparents had like an eight-acre place growing up and they'd have shows and stuff and have lights on at the stage and I'd go in the summer to help them clean up. I remember one time my grandpa was like, go turn the lights off of the stage. So I'm walking all the way through this field where everything's lit up and I have to turn all the lights off and then walk back. It's going to be pitch black dark. Yeah. I ain't doing that. But here's the thing. So I, I get halfway back and I'm alarmed. Like I'm fair. I'm really young, like just old enough to go turn the lights out. Okay. So, but I got so angry that I was afraid of this place that I wasn't afraid of when the lights were on that instead of going back to the house, I walked through the woods. I was like, fear is not going to have this level of control on me. So instead of running back to the house and avoiding the fear, I went further into the woods to go, nope, I'm still gonna do what I wanna do. Fear isn't gonna have a place. So that would be
0: the place where I would say you don't have good sense.
1: Maybe, I mean, a little kid walking through the woods at night. Listen, Negro senses would dictate
0: (laughs) that you hightail it from wherever you turn the lights off back to where civilization is you don't go to the woods <laughs> nothing good has happened to us in the woods yeah that yeah yeah you don't need to be there <laughs> at all you just camped out not gonna get me here mr crazy darkness fear
1: so i think there's a part of me that in like with those horror movies is like just try it like you ain't got nothing on me well but there's a danger though in that there is i'm not saying it's a good idea yeah
0: yeah no no because no, the, here the danger is You open up gateways based on what you view. That's going to bother me later. (laughs) But there's a potential to open up a gateway because your eyes are are part of the gateways to your soul. Mm -hmm. And so what you view can, in many ways, not just affect you, but it can actually open a doorway for a spirit to come into you. Yeah. There are a lot of people that suffer from fear because of the fact that they've watched horror films. Yeah, And the spirits that are attached to those film productions go out. Like somebody actually pointed out the fact that almost on every successful horror film, somebody from
1: the cast has to die. Yeah. You just told me about that. I think that's when I started going, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't be watching. These. It was, it was on that one. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. But when the person
0: told me I jumped right to, to my horror film series. And I was like, that didn't happen. Cause I know predator Uh-huh. and that didn't happen. in Pre- Oh,
1: so really? the guy who
0: plays Predator in the first two movies, Kevin Peter Hall, uh-huh. he's a this seven and a half foot, almost eight. Uh, same guy who played in Harry and the Hendersons. He played.
1: Harry. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, he's known for for being a creature actor, Interesting. really good at humanizing the character uh-huh. and giving the movement specific to to their phenotype. Okay, you know the, what makes up their uh, personality, but he actually died after this second film.
1: Okay. Interesting.
0: I think he's one of, I think he's the only character who died. I wanted to say the, yeah, that's the only guy I know. There was another one I thought may have died, but I think he, I don't think he died uh, in relation to the movie. Okay. This guy did.
1: Interesting. Huh.
0: I'm like, if that's what it requires as a sacrifice for it to be successful, I'm like, I don't want no parts of that. But I remember watching Hostile. Okay. Hostile's when I figured out that I I really dislike horror films. Yeah. Seeing the human body get mutilated. There was a time where a guy came to me and he just asked a question. Given the fact that I've made the human body as awesome and amazing as I did, what is it that you like about seeing it mutilated?
1: Yeah, that's a question. I was like, that's going to bother me. Mm -hmm. That one will fester.
0: I mean, for real, I was like, I really don't. I don't like seeing stuff chopped up. I don't like hearing people scream. I don't like imagining myself in any of those situations. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I can't do horror.
1: Hmm. Interesting. I don't like flirting with the spirits either. <laughs> right. But, but, yeah, it definitely seemed that there's a lot of horror elements in this one.
0: I would agree with you.
1: And 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 not just that. So, like, <clears throat> so after the you get past the, the, the horror elements in this weird, ambiguous narrative. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I didn't like is that amidst the ambiguity, um, there seems to be this tie to the writings of Aleister Crowley. Okay. Now, not that they do it and they, they come right out and, and say, you know, this is what we're doing. But it's done almost as, a, as an object lesson. So he writes that do as thou wilt would be the whole of the law. Mm-hmm. And this is like a, a fundamental pillar for Satanism. Well, what we see in this movie is everyone is just kind of independently being true to themselves,
0: whatever version of themselves that is, whatever
1: version, right so like the first doctor Strange that you see ends up kind of being bad because he tries to take the the other girl's uh power to trans um to transport herself between universes, but yeah then, who's
0: that America chavez?
1: yeah, yeah, okay, and then she um. Or then the other Doctor Strange tries to help. And then you have Scarlet Witch who is kind of the villain because she wants to take her power, which is what the first Doctor Strange tried to do. And it is just this weird, just if everyone does, because the idea, going back to Crowley's writing, the idea is that if everyone does what they want and you're true and authentic to your most sinful self, they don't use that language, but that's what they mean then somehow it orchestrates this this beautiful picture of what the universe should be. Like it develops this utopia out of chaos. It's kind of
0: consistent with um, uh, Savantini's teachings.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's very much like that.
0: With the idea that in order to bring about the Christ, you have to have an abundant amount of sin, and until you reach the, the ultimate level of sin, you won't achieve salvation.
1: Right, it's it's so bizarre because anyone, like common sense tells you that this is such a bizarre mindset. Because right. you just take 50, shoot, take 10 people, put them in a room and say, all right, everyone run in any direction that you just feel is the direction that you need to be going. It's People are going to get hurt.
0: Well, somebody's going to run to the woods. <laughs>
1: I'm staying still.
0: So that's at least 20% of your people.
1: Oh, that's funny. But yeah. no, like people are going to run into each other. Yeah. You know, just... Without any actual structure or organization, um, it's chaos. And that's the only way it can be. But in this movie, it all ends up working out to be good. Doctor Strange, he uses the same dark book that Scarlet Witch used, but he kind of used it to, to do better things than she did. But then she realized in her pursuit of her own desires that, well, maybe I really shouldn't do this. And she ends up destroying the dark book. So there's no... There's no victory over another person, right? There's no victory good over bad or vice versa. There's none of that. There's everyone just kind of bumping into each other as they're doing their own thing and everything's better at the end. I was like, this is garbage. And this is, Mm. they don't explain it, but they're embodying and acting out this idea from Crowley's writing, do what thou wilt would be the whole of the law.
0: So it seems like you have relativistic morality also presented against a juxtaposed perception of villainry. Yes, that's crazy.
1: It it was weird.
0: Now it's interesting. You pick up on this Crowley uh, idea. Okay. One of the things I was watching was one of the trailers, and I'm the type I really get disappointed when something's in the trailer that's not in the movie. Okay. And I was looking for it. Now, if you notice, there was this part where Strange goes, "Things just got out of hand." In the trailer. In the trailer. And you're like, "Oh my god, what happened?" I got to see it. I got to find out what got out of control. You never see that in the movie. That footage never makes it into the film. Okay. But there's another thing that doesn't make it into the film. that's in the trailer. And that's this brief cut to a Raven. Really? There's a brief cut to a crow that looks really weird. And it's got these, it's got this scarlet red light casting on it. Okay. And he just looks at the camera with this ominous look. I mean, crows are kind of, evil in, in and of themselves. So then it's not too hard for them <laughs> to have an ominous look.
1: Right. But it doesn't show up in the film at all. Interesting. But, but it's in the trailer. It's,
0: some, it's in the trailer, which means is if we've watched the trailer, it's in our subconscious. Yeah. It's already been dropped off, even if you don't see it in the actual film. So it's kind of interesting that there might be a, a connection there.
1: Yeah, that is interesting.
0: Now Dude, I can hear certain people. It's not Mr. Skepp.
1: <laughs> not Mr. Skepp? Not
0: Mr. Skepp, but it's definitely his son. <laughs> l- l- little baby Great. Bubba He's, Skep. he's
1: procreating? Yeah, oh, yeah, man. Yeah,
0: yeah, they multiply. <laughs> so we, we got a little Bubba, little, what did I call him? Little baby Bubba Skepp. <laughs> That's a lot of littles. That's a lot little of little. baby Bubba Skepp. <laughs> 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 but I can hear him. Okay, seems like you might be reaching. All right, how are we supposed to know really that there's this this narrative in there? You sure you're not just going looking for it? Okay. And to that person, I would say, okay, I, I get that. There, It may come across a little conspiratorial that we're talking about some of these embedded ideas. Uh, and it may seem like we're reaching. But I think that there's a natural uh, model in reality that might help explain this concept that we're dealing with. Okay. Um, when you look at... The radio spectrum, our bandwidth for different frequencies is broken up into these, <laughs> these specific ranges. Okay. And there's probably about ten ranges, but just for the sake of argument, I'm going to dwindle them down to about four. All right. You have a high range frequency, and you have low range frequencies. Kind of split them two, and imagine on the high end, there is very high frequency. And then there's ultra high frequency. So VHF and UHF frequencies. Okay. People have probably heard that. Then on the lower end, there's low frequency and then very low frequency. Normally submarines are using that very low frequency bandwidth to communicate because it helps go through uh, the water medium and actually can be transmitted to them when they're under the water. Okay. Within a certain depth
1: range. That makes sense. Like bass is a low frequency, and it tends to travel a lot farther than than voices. I know I'm going to go on a huge tangent, but (laughs) just because you said that, I watched this
0: thing called uh, the silent, the most loneliest whale. Okay. And apparently, there's a whale that communicates at 52 hertz, and they've caught him on record, but he's the only whale that does it. So nobody ever sings back to him. That's sad. It's sad. That's why they call him the loneliest whale. (laughs) But apparently he has this very specific identifying marker since he's the only one communicating at 52 hertz. And so they randomly catch him at different places. Well, what I found out in that documentary was that whale calls travel thousands of miles. Really?
1: The
2: sounds of fin and blue whales could travel about 13,000 miles. This is a long-range social network. 60 years ago, ship noise didn't exist. Today, when we think of all the shipping traffic, imagine you're a whale. It drowns out everything you could possibly be listening to.
0: Thousands, like they showed whales in different parts of the ocean in a omni omnispherical uh, sound wave going uh, going away from them, mm-hmm. and how far it traveled. Like you could be, let's say, in Argentina, and it could be heard up in the Arctic. That's crazy. Absolutely nuts. I had no idea it goes that far. That was like one whale. This huh. is for all of them. Like they can hear around the planet. That's nuts. So imagine if human hearing was such that we could hear that low. We'd hear that. There'd be a lot of noise. The whole idea of how sound travels through different mediums is really freaky yeah. and really cool. Like there's a thing where I found out elephants could put their ear to the ground and listen for water. Really? They can listen for water or feel it, but they can listen for it and it could be on the other side of a mountain range.
1: That's cool.
0: Right? I want to try it. No, cause I don't know. <laughs> no, I'll freak out. 'Cause I won't hear water, I'll hear like magma or something, and I'm like, oh my God, I'm finna die. The earth is gonna open up. I'll just hear footsteps of the elephant.
1: <laughs> right. What are you doing here?
0: Well, you know, the fact that even footsteps, you can feel that. Mm-hmm. That's really sound being transmitted through the ground. Right. Low frequency, right? Right. So it's this crazy notion. Okay, we went on a huge tangent. <laughs> I have not forgotten where we were going. So let's rewind for a bit. <laughs> I know there's somebody out there like, oh my gosh. Right. But no, let's go back to the frequency bandwidth. Okay. Because basically this person's asking this question, aren't you just looking for stuff that's not there? Yeah. So we have these frequency ranges, UHF, VHF, and then we have LLF, LF, low frequency, and then very low frequency. And those transmissions on those bandwidths are what we use to communicate. Now, if you were at the NSA or if you were another intelligence division and you were what they call a signals analyst, where you're responsible for taking in all sorts of signals or or broadcasted information, transcribing that and seeing if there's useful, useful information in that. Right. Mm -hmm. You would be aware that it is possible to transmit data on multiple bandwidths. And so you would have to have antennas tuned in to those specific ranges to see if there's any information being communicated on that bandwidth.
1: Okay, that makes sense.
0: Now, if there is, you're responsible for recording it and then deciphering it. But just because you're listening on that bandwidth does not mean that you are falsely reporting stuff that's coming up or that you're imagining this type of stuff. Right. Just because we're looking for information on various bandwidths inside a film doesn't mean we're reaching or making it up necessarily. The problem is most people are not used to attenuating their attention and awareness to these specific frequency ranges.
1: Right. Cause people typically go to shut their mind off, not turn it on.
0: Exactly. But filmmakers realize that we are basically just mentally speaking, we're like an antenna. And we've talked about this from the way God constructed us kind of being like a Tesla coil Mm -hmm. where we can emit and, and receive information from adjacent dimensions. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well that capability is kind of, um minimum, I guess you say well, how do you say making it it's scaled down. Thank you, awesome. It's scaled down and modulated a bit in the in, in our in our psychology and our mental makeup okay and we're, but we're still able to receive information from various um bandwidths or dimensions, okay? when a person goes into a a, a movie they go into a theater to watch a film. They're normally only aware of one of these, and that's not even full aware. Typically, just the conscious is what they're aware of. Okay. But you've, you've got four bandwidths that you can be receiving information on.
1: All right, what are they?
0: These are, these are going in, in decreasing levels of awareness. So you've got conscious, emotional, subconscious, which most people ha- are not aware of at all, and then you have spiritual and that's the one I'm probably most aloof to.
1: Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Conscious,
0: emotional, subconscious, spiritual. What we try to do when we go mm-hmm. to a film is look across all four of those bandwidths and see, if is there a narrative being communicated? Is there information being trafficked on this bandwidth that we need to pay attention to? Right. That's not necessarily the same as reaching. So I want to say that for the person that's maybe a bit skeptical of, well, where are you getting this, these ideas or insights? Are you sure that this is genuine or... Maybe this is a little manufactured. Maybe this is your imagination. I think people have to begin to wake up and intentionally start paying attention to those bandwidths that we were talking about. Yeah. Pay attention to what's consciously being put in front of you. Pay attention to the emotional manipulation that's going on. Films are designed to affect you. Yeah. Like, there's absolutely no way. they These studios... You know, they put a lot of money into the production. A lot of money. Especially for these box office films, like you know, sometimes 70, 80, 90, even 100 million. Yeah. You're not doing that so that you can't affect people. You're doing it because you want to affect people.
1: Right. And, and we wouldn't go to movies if it didn't have some type of effect on us.
0: Absolutely. So some of those effects we're aware of on the conscious or on the emotional, but we have to start training our mind to be aware of the subconscious and the spiritual.
1: No, I think you're absolutely right.
0: I think that's critical because our, the, the people who run the planet and the spiritual overlords that they serve are well aware of these facts that we have multifaceted antennas or, or ability to receive information on a lot of different levels. And they're keen enough to make use of that in order to program the mind. Yeah. And so if we're going to be doing our due diligence, we have to be equally as keen to deprogram
1: or just stay away. Right. Or just stay away. Absolutely. And if you want if, if anyone's out there listening that wants more information about this, our ultra series, we did um Satanic Mind Control, parts one and two. Yeah. Would go into this a lot more depth.
0: Absolutely. I think part two goes into it uh to a much greater degree than part one, but you're not gonna go bad listening to one <laughs> and two.
1: Right. Where where the actual creators say that they put their ideas in here.
0: Right. Christopher, there's this uh we both have this mutual friend who tells us all the time that we ruin films.
1: Yes, this is true. Right. And it, it hurts me <laughs> to the core cuz I don't think
0: of it as ruining. I think of it as freeing you from the delusion that this film is
1: innocent. Well, see, that's that's how I felt when I told you about The Devil's Advocate, but I still don't No, think- you ruined Devil's <laughs> Advocate. You completely
0: ruined it for me. You even ruined my personal view of how I look at movies. <laughs> I was like, I don't think I analyze these nearly as deep as I need to.
1: Oh, uh, that's funny.
0: <laughs> but I, I tell you what, it after after listening uh, to what we've been talking about today, there's probably two type of people out there that okay. are going to have a response to what we're talking about. Now, there's either going to be the person that goes, you know what? I don't need to see this. I don't <laughs> need to have no parts dealing with this guy says that uh have no fellowship with the fruits of darkness so i'm gonna keep my black behind away (laughs) then there's the other person that says where can i buy a ticket and when's the next show?" (laughs) this sounds absolutely amazing
1: yeah no i think you're absolutely right but so for those that are interested in in buying a ticket Uh if you've got it pulled up on the internet right now
0: (laughs) To buy your ticket if you got your seat selected right and popcorn planet
1: <laughs> i also suggest that maybe you hop over truthfullyarm.com, go to the podcast on our show notes and we've actually put together some pdfs there for you to use okay and um excuse me um they're to they're tools to help review movies so we'll have one called the recruits review And we talked about the four bandwidths. So the recruits review is going to be a little bit easier to get into. um, And it's going to be dealing with the conscious and the emotional aspects of the movie. Okay. And it'll just have some questions to kind of guide you and help you engage your brain when you're watching to say, Hmm, I wonder what's really going on here. Okay. And then we're going to have the uh, commander's critique. This one, this one's my favorite. I like this one. This one goes a little bit deeper and then deals with the subconscious and the spiritual things that are being communicated in the movie.
0: That's going to be dope.
1: Yeah, it, it should be really great.
0: I think people should, I, I really hope people are taking advantage of these show notes. I, I, I hope so too. Because there's a lot of, and I, I get if you've already come off an episode that's been really intensive with information, you don't really want to go then further and get some more information.
1: Right. Sometimes it's I, a bit I, much.
0: I, right. I understand that. But we talk a lot about trying to educate people. Mm-hmm. And what I really enjoy about these show notes is the fact that we put educational content right at the person's fingertips. And it's tied to the subject matter of the episode. Yeah. So each one of these show notes has different information on there. Mm-hmm. But it allows people to dig a bit further for themselves, which we're constantly encouraging them to do, instead of relying just on what we say. But at the same time, people are also like, well, where'd you get that? And, and where'd you hear that? And, oh, that sounds interesting. Cool. We did the work for you. We put it there. So I really hope people take a moment and actually go out to the website. And there's a couple of different ways to do it. We've tried to make it easy. Mm-hmm. If we're online, then we just go to our website, truthfullyarm.com, and click uh, podcast and then go down to show notes. And each of these episodes is listed by the date, that its original air date and the title. So you just go and look for that. But if you're listening to this on your podcast on mobile, you can go right into the episode notes. And right there we have, we list the synopsis, what the episode's about. And then right underneath that, we list sources, additional resources. Well, I'm sorry. We list show notes and additional resources. <laughs> and it's a direct link.
1: That sounds easy. Pretty much
0: all you have to do. Each one of these episodes is going to have that. Yeah, so I, I really would encourage people, check that out. A lot of gems over there that would help substantiate not just some of the things that we're saying, but also help to expose you to some of the places we got that information and let you come to your own conclusions.
1: Right, absolutely.
0: So just a little shameless plug.
1: But in the midst of that, these tools, I don't think they're going to help with our reputation at all, though, Jason.
0: Our reputation of destroying movies for people? Yeah. I think that ship has (laughs) sailed and gone.
1: Well, for someone that might be concerned that we're just out here taking away their favorite movies, hitting them in the face and running away, and, it, and, and leaving them with nothing.
2: <laughs> I can
0: hear Chappelle.
1: <laughs> so for the Dave Chappelle's out there, <laughs> or no, we'd be Dave Chappelle. We that, would. My bad, my bad yeah. for, for the people we're hitting. Right. What what would you say to that?
0: Um, Believe it or not, I could understand the feeling. I would say I, I've, I've been in their shoes before. I know what it's like to have a film uh, or have, to have anything that's kind of sacred and protected. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When, you, when you have something that's sacred and protected, you like it, and someone comes along kind of exposes it, there's a tendency to rebuff that exposure and to protect that thing that you consider precious. That I get. And there's a, an additional, what I would call, um, cognitive reflex that basically says it's almost a, an underlying subconscious fear that if you take this away, what will I have? What will replace it? Okay. You know, sometimes people do want to let go of something, but you don't want to be hanging on a cliff and someone say, give me your hand, and I'm hanging by one hand. <laughs> I don't have another hand to give you. Yeah. You know, you're, I got to touch something else before I take it. I got to, you know, grasp something else before I can take my hand off of this. Mm-hmm. And I, I understand that's kind of embedded in our psychology as human beings. You don't want to give a person just um, expositional information and not give them hope. Right. I used to wonder why hope was so important and starting to do this podcast. I, I understand it a little bit better. It's important to give people hope because if you just give them information and no hope, all that information ends up sounding like this. La, 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 la. It's going to go in one ear and right out the other. Yep. That's not what you want. You want people to be able to hold on to it. You want them to be able to assess it. You want them to practice using their their cognitive function faculties and be able to make their own decisions, free will choices, not being manipulated. And you don't want them to be doing that out of fear. You follow me? Yeah. You got to right. take the information and you have to give them meaning. you got to sort through all that information and provide them meaning. That's actually what we call the Ayala effect. Yeah. You know, and that's important for people. We're not trying to destroy movies. We're trying actually to free a person to see what a movie is really about so that they cannot be taken advantage of by the agendas embedded in it.
1: Right. Because we're constantly, we're building perception filters right. Cognitive, cognitively and emotionally, you know, whether it be commercials, movies, or even life experience, we continually add to this lens at which we filter out everything we see in the world. And if we aren't acutely aware of the filters we're developing, then we're doomed to just be feeling around in the dark.
0: That's true. And you really don't want to do that. You know, the Bible tells us that we really shouldn't be ignorant of our enemy schemes. And I think it's so easy to dismiss that yeah. and not realize that there's a lot of intelligence that God expects you to have about the environment you serve in. You know, we're really in a war zone. I think that reality is lost on people. I remember I was talking to one of my nephews. I call him the little philosopher. Okay. All right. And the little philosopher kind of wanted, he tried to pin me into a corner. I don't know why nephews like to do this, (laughs) you know, but he basically was coming at me with the idea that you can't think that everything is quote unquote demonic. And I grew up in one of those households where everything was demonic, right? And I got so (laughs) sick of hearing it. Can't watch that, that's demonic. Can't listen to that, that's demonic. Oh, no. And they couldn't give you, Real good reasons for why it was demonic per se, right? Uh, but it, it just it was just demonic. It just was. Yeah, and it starts to turn you turn you off to that whole idea, or desensitizes you to it. Mm-hmm. And then if you're anything like me, you become a little bit more curious. Yep. Yeah, this is what demonic is. This doesn't <laughs> seem so bad. Kind of like this a little bit, you know. and, and that becomes a problem. So Lil to (laughs) wants to pin me into a corner with this whole idea of everything can be demonic. And I'm like, you know what? I get that. But here's the reality. If we actually are serving in a war zone, when you're in a war zone, especially in an urban environment, and you got to go door to door, could there be an assailant around every corner? There could be, yeah. Could there be a grenade behind every rock? There could be. Could there be an IED in front of every door?
1: There could be.
0: Okay. So imagine telling a soldier that has to serve in an urban environment. Man, you can't go around really thinking that there's a grenade, IED, and a, somebody trying to shoot you around every corner. All right, that's just retarded. <laughs> that who, sound, who would think that?
1: That sounds stupid in that context.
0: Absolutely. It sounds it sounds ludicrous. Mm-hmm. But then when we come to real life, we like to take the same logic and apply it. Everything can't be satanically inspired. I mean, come on. Yeah. But the Bible tells you you're
1: in a war zone. Right. So you should at least be prepared that what's coming at you could be satanically inspired.
0: Absolutely. I mean, maybe you open the door and it's a friendly, but there could have been someone behind it. that was an enemy. Yeah. And it would be incredibly foolish to go into a hostile environment and not be prepared for the threats that you face. It's true. And that's basically what we're trying to do. When the Bible tells us you shouldn't be ignorant of the enemy schemes, we shouldn't be ignorant of the fact that, A, we live and we, we are functioning inside an active war zone. And, B, there is an enemy that is gunning for us, and he has tactics that he uses. You have to familiarize yourself with those tactics. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I agree. So it's not just getting educated. It's really familiarizing yourself for what? So that you can go on the counter offensive. Yep. So that you can be well-prepared, so that you can defend yourself and so that you can attack. Right. It's not just defense oriented.
1: So the person that's afraid or concerned that, hey, we're just out here ruining the things that you care about and not leaving with leaving you with something. I think what we want to leave them with is uh, the ability to cultivate a strong mental aptitude.
0: You know, I'm, I'm really partial to that language, <laughs> right? Yep. Because all I can hear is pandora as avatar (laughs) yeah you know matter of fact let's play that
2: for the people you are not in kansas anymore you are on pandora ladies and gentlemen respect that fact every second of every day if there is a hell you might want to go there for some r and r after a tour on pandora out there, beyond that fence, every living thing that crawls, flies, or squats in the mud wants to kill you and eat your eyes for jujubes. We have an indigenous population of humanoids called the Navi. They're fond of arrows dipped in a neurotoxin that'll stop your heart in one minute. And they have bones reinforced with naturally occurring carbon fiber. They are very hard to kill. As head of security, it is my job to keep you alive. I will not succeed. Not with all of you. If you wish to survive, you need to cultivate a strong mental attitude. you got to obey the rules. Pandora rules. I absolutely love that.
0: It's so good. You know, when he says that we have an indigenous population, I'm like, we do. We have an indigenous population of companies called the Disney. <laughs> and they produce products that are dipped in a neurotoxin that will affect your spirit in less than one second. Yep. They are they are are incredibly difficult to kill because they come reinforced with emotionalism. And people do not like to do away with that which they care about. Right. Like, this hits on so many different levels. It does. And if you're going to be successful serving in, in quote, unquote, Pandora, you got to obey the rules. Yeah. Spiritual rules. Spiritual rules. Rule number one, educate yourself.
1: Educate yourself.
0: Yep. Rule number two, cultivate a strong mental aptitude. Yep. You're going to need that out there. Why? Because you serve in a war environment.
1: Right. If you listen to this podcast, you are not in Kansas anymore.
0: At all. You are far from it. Yeah. And I think this is absolutely incredible and, and imperative for people to wrap their minds around.
1: I would agree. So on top of that, I think that you should pray like we suggested going into this. Right. Pray that the Holy Spirit shows you uh, the truth behind everything that you see. Um, I also think that because you're in a ward that you need to go into if you're going to choose to watch movies, if you're going to sit in front of a screen, that you should go into it looking to engage your brain, not looking to disengage.
0: Absolutely. I yeah. would agree with that. Do not sit mindlessly in front of this. This is not amusement. Right. This is entertainment. Entertainment is designed to detain you and allow something else to enter you while you're detained. Right. It's mm-hmm. what entertainment means. Yep. You got to be aware of it. Got to be. So you're going into a warfare environment, sitting in a theater, taking in any of this. And this is coming from a company that has vested interests in both conditioning your mind, but presenting as much occultism as as you can take. Mm-hmm. Like Marvel doesn't stray from it. And then for Marvel to be acquired by Disney, which markets itself as a family-friendly outlet, you need to be cautious of what you take in because there is a push to destroy the family unit. There is. Yep. And this is some of the ways that you do it through just quote unquote mindless entertainment Mm -hmm. that presents nothing but spiritual filth. Right. I can't think of too much that was redeeming about this, this movie as a whole, there was one or two comedic moments that I thought were interesting. And as a whole, it's just an incredibly dark film. Yep. I would agree. Something I, w- I would suggest probably staying away from for all intents and purpose. And please don't take your children to go see it.
1: Right. No, I would agree. Yeah. It wasn't worth the money. No, nah, no. Nah, uh, I mean, well, other than being able to, to warn other people or let other people know what they're getting into. But yeah, it was, I wouldn't recommend it.
0: And you know, it's, it's really important to, to get the word out to people about stuff like this. Um, And one of the things I appreciate about our show is the fact that we do a lot of the heavy lifting for people. Mm -hmm. So we've done some of the research. We have uh, the talks, and we try to unveil some of the hidden messages in there. But having done that, it really helps when people share the show.
1: It does, yeah. Love
0: the fact that they're listening. Our listenership has grown exponentially.
1: Yeah, it's exciting to see. But also share.
0: Get that out. If you got to talk to Grandma, I don't think Grandma's watching Marvel. (laughs) But you know, not right, but if you've got friends, you've got people um, that are really interested in that. No problem. Shoot them. Shoot them a link to the show. Yeah, and it'll probably open up a, a opportunity for conversation. And that's really how we change people. Each one change one. Yeah, and that's how things grow. That's how things spread. And next thing you know, people are not falling victim to this type of stuff the way they were before.
1: Right. No, I agree. Because it's, it's possible that maybe there'll come a day where we won't have to be on guard. We won't have to worry about the assailant behind the door, the grenade behind the rock. Right. Uh, you said assailant behind the door. I went back to Predator and I was like, well, that's he messing
0: with me. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs>
2: Look out. I, Look I, out. I got triggers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, maybe there might come a day where we don't have to have our guard up all the time. Right. But until then... We are deployed on this dystopian rock by our savior in chief, the very one that has commissioned us on a seesaw.
0: That's right. We are on a combat search and rescue mission, people. And be advised, the hostages we're after are likely to be hostile towards us, but we still gotta go get them. Now our task and order is simple. We're to search for and rescue anyone that can be sympathetic to Christ, but is currently held hostage under Satan's deception. And make no mistake, we will be operating in a hostile environment. But the rules of engagement are clear. Listen to me, you take fire, you get fire. And I need you to keep your head on a swivel out there. Stay frosty, stay faithful, and above all, stay in the fight. That means do not give up, because we're counting on you. You ain't alone out there. We're fighting right next to you. And we'll see you out there again, fighting alongside of us on the front line. 10-4.